Well, I would imagine there probably is a couple of us behind the curve in here, but most of us have probably effectively kicked off Christmas. Isn't that kind of what we do in the American culture? We use Thanksgiving weekend to to kind of get us started. Stuff starts coming down out of the attic and up all over the house. And uh, I would imagine there was probably a couple of you shopping at some completely unreasonable hour Friday morning. What is up with Kohl's? 3 a.m. What is that about? That's not Christmas. But, uh, you know, we've got all these different things we do, usually around Thanksgiving weekend, to kind of get Christmas rolling. And there's not only what we do as a, as a culture, but each family kind of has their individual traditions and rules. Like we have a rule in our house. You can't watch any Christmas movies or any Christmas stories till, till after Thanksgiving. And, and we always watch the first one on Thanksgiving night, except this particular Thanksgiving we watched the Texas Aggies put a smack down on the Longhorns. But uh, that, that's a whole other thing. That was for free. But uh, a lot of times on Thanksgiving evening, our, our first Christmas movie is uh, A Christmas Carol, you know, with the Scrooge. And, and by the way, you've got to have the one that, where Albert Finney is the Scrooge. Y'all know which one I'm talking about? Now, if, you, if you've got a, a Christmas carol, well, Albert Finney, go home and look it up. If Albert Finney's not the Scrooge, just throw that away and uh, go somewhere today and get a new one, uh, get the right one. But that, that's kind of how we kind of kick things off and start things at our, at our house. You know, the, the American way of preparing for Christmas is interesting. It's so involved, so complicated, that by the time we get to Christmas, we're, we're absolutely ready for it to be over, aren't we? I mean, we have got our mind on all kinds of things other than what Christmas is about. And I'm not talking, folks, about the reason for the season and all all that. I'm just saying, man, God has revealed himself to the world. And we're going to think about a lot of things this next month. And that may not make our top five. (laughs) That that may not even make the, the top ten because we're preparing for God revealing himself to the world. Uh, gosh, we get so busy doing so much. We just want it to be over by the time it gets here. Man, by the time we get to a, a Christmas message or a Christmas Eve service, we're not, we're not thinking about any of that. We're just thinking about how we're going to pay for it all. Uh, everything we did this past month. Can we even imagine? And that's a rhetorical answer question. I'll tell you the answer. The answer is no, we cannot. Can we even imagine what it's like to hear this truth, to, to absorb this truth without the tiredness of, of schedules and parties and shopping, to hear that God, and He's entered the world as a baby. What is it like to hear that fresh? To, to hear it without all the trappings that we have put with it. Can we imagine being Mary? She had no preparation at all. It didn't start on Thanksgiving for her. Man, God just showed up and wham! The unbelievable. The impossible. What would that have been like? I'm excited today to begin studying and looking at the life of Mary as ultimately we're studying and celebrating the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know... Folks, we have not studied, and when I say we, I'm I'm really talking about the Protestant church. We don't study Mary a lot. We have a tendency to, well, to ignore. And I think part of the reason, this is just an opinion, I I think part of the reason we've done that is in somewhat of a response to, to Catholicism, which we rightly or wrongly tend to accuse of Mariolatry or, or, or worshiping Mary. 
And they do tend to get her out in front of the parade. And they tend to apply some teachings to her that we don't agree with. For instance, a very important teaching in the Catholic Church is the perpetual virginity of Mary. That is, not only that she was a virgin up and through the birth of Jesus, but that she remained a virgin throughout her life. And we don't believe in that, well, because the Scripture says the exact opposite. Uh, Matthew 13, verses 55 to 56, mention that Mary had other sons and daughters, even gives their names. She had quite a few children. Uh, and, and so we don't, we don't believe that. And maybe you wonder, well, how, how does the Catholic Church teach that if the Bible says something the opposite? Well, in the, in the Catholic faith, there is, there's two sources of authority. One is the Bible. The, the other is church teaching or church tradition. Now, now, functionally speaking, when you have two sources of authority, one usually has the ability to trump the other. And in this case, the Catholic teaching, the Catholic tradition can trump the Bible. They see no, no conflict. They see no problem that this is the teaching of the church. It doesn't matter if the, the Bible says something contrary. Now, we who have one source of authority have a problem with that. So historically speaking, it's been this kind of thing that I think has kind of led us away from really looking at Mary. Folks, make no mistake, Mary is a great woman of God. And there is much to be gained by studying her life just as we would a, a David or an Abraham, a Moses or a Peter as we look at these people and kind of for clues and what it looks like to follow Christ, to respond to Christ, to, to live for Christ. Mary just as well gives us that model and that example. And of course in her, we get a very unique picture. She's the only one who can show us this. The response to the original news of Christmas. And folks, her response is incredible and a challenge for every person in this room. Let's look at what Mary did. Would you look with me in Luke chapter 1 this morning? Open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. If there's not one right in front of you, you should be able to, uh, to have somebody hand you one if you point to it or something. But uh, open up Luke chapter 1, right after Matthew and Mark, before John and Acts. Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. Luke 1, verse 26. It says there, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how, how can this be since I've, I've not been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
And consider your relative, Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Mary is a young virgin girl in Nazareth. That's where she grew up. She probably is from the, in the tribe of Levi. We don't know that for sure, but we know her cousin, who we just read about, Elizabeth, is in the tribe of Levi. So that's probably where she's from. And, of course, Joseph is in the tribe of Judah, in the line of David. So these two people are in the line of priests and kings. They're there in Nazareth, they're engaged, and you know the story, they're going to end up in Bethlehem, where somebody very important is going to be born, Jesus, and uh, they're going to be there for a significant amount of time, and then they're going to flee the land and go about 90 miles south to Egypt, and, and they're fleeing from Herod, uh, who, who's trying to kill Jesus. You remember, he, he comes into Bethlehem and kills all the male boys under the age of two, probably 30 or 40 children would have been affected by that. 30 or 40 boys, 30 or 40 families uh, would have been affected by that. They're in Egypt for a significant amount of time. And then they return to Nazareth where, where Jesus and in time his brother and brothers and sisters are going to be raised. Now the last time, you know, we don't hear a whole lot about Joseph. And the last time we're going to hear of him is going to be in Luke where uh, you remember where Jesus and his mom and dad go to the temple when he's about 12 years old. And, and he gets lost and they come looking for him. And he says, well, I'm here in my dad's house where I was the whole time. And, uh, but that's the last we hear of, of Joseph. And uh, we have no real historical evidence to suggest when he disappears. But uh, most believe that he died at a young age. And that left Mary as a widow to raise uh, or to finish raising. He was actually moving into adulthood if he was 12 um, uh, to finish raising Jesus and, and then the other brothers and sisters as a widow. Now, when we look at Mary's life, most of what we have to study her is going to be in what you and I call the Christmas passages. The, these opening chapters of Matthew and, and Luke. We see her again, you know, pop up in different stories and different places in Jesus' life and ministry. You'll see there, there she is. We see her at the foot of the cross and then the last place we see Mary mentioned is in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. This is right after Jesus has been resurrected and ascended into heaven. And it is right before the Holy Spirit is going to descend on these new believers. So there in Acts 1, shortly after Jesus has been resurrected, is the last mention that we get of Mary. So most of what we know is going to be in these opening chapters or these Christmas passages as we refer to them. We know she's engaged to this man named Joseph, which would have put her age much younger than any parent here would be comfortable with. You know, we have to be careful not to read our culture into Scripture. We just saw a big survey and study of marriage, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, and they think they said the average man now is 28, and the average age for a woman is 26. Uh, well, that would not have all been true uh, in the time period in the culture we're reading about. We don't know Mary's age, but she would have been at least 12 and she probably would have been no older than 15 
If she's engaged, it would have happened in that time period right there. So, you know, don't, don't read an, an older teenager or even a young woman. This is a young teenage girl uh, that we're reading about. She's engaged to Joseph. Now, engagement in this culture and this story, very di- again, very different from ours. In our culture, you just need a ring and a proposal and you're good to go. Uh, but in this culture, it's a little bit more of a legal proceeding. It would have had to have been witnessed. Uh, there would have been an agreement between the families. A financial bride price would have been exchanged. And at that moment, even though it would probably be a year before there would be a ceremony and a consummation of the marriage, at that moment, she would have been considered his wife. And, and, if, and you know, in our day and age, if, if an engagement breaks up, you know, all we got to do is, you know, throw the ring at somebody and cry and run out of the room and it's over. You know, but in this culture, breaking up an engagement would have been legally very similar to going through a divorce. It's very important you understand that culture. Because when you and I read this passage, we read our culture into that. And so we, and we're reading on this side of history. And so we read that and we think, gosh, how cool that must have been. And boy, Mary must have really felt blessed and honored. And I mean, talk about feeling special. I mean, only one woman ever gets to do this. I mean, that would be pretty, pretty special, pretty privileged. And I'm not saying Mary didn't feel those kinds of things and emotions. I'm just guessing she had some other questions, too. Like, you know, Lord, you you do realize some really bad things could happen here. I mean, the best case scenario is Joseph receives her in this pregnant condition and accepts the child as his. But what is more than likely going to happen is she's going to reveal this information. She's going to be divorced and live as an outcast for the rest of her life. And can you imagine that being 13 years old? You're pregnant and you're now an outcast for the rest of your life. That's a possible scenario. A very a real possible scenario also is that she'd be stoned for being an adulteress. So as she's hearing this news, yeah, there might be a sense of, boy, I'm special. Boy, this is a privilege. But I bet she's thinking, wow, this, this really, how do you understand this? How am I going to explain this? What's going to happen when I do? I'm guessing saying an angel told me isn't going to cut it. You know, folks, it doesn't really matter what culture you're in, what time period you're in. If you're engaged and you show up pregnant, that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem a lot of the times. So this is what Mary's weighing. And I think we want to understand that because, man, it just makes her response all the more that incredible. Now, before we look at that response, I do want you to notice two things in the passage. First of all, it says twice it refers to her as highly favored one. You see that there in verse 30, the highly favored. Now, favored, you know, if, if, if I favor somebody, that means they're the best. I, I picked them. And, and, of course, in our conditional way of doing almost everything in our relationships, I probably favored them or picked them because of something about them or something I thought they could do for me. That is nothing of like what this word means here. This word here is the same word as Grace. You, Mary, are the one who's got God's grace. In other words, this position that you're coming into, this opportunity that you have, is not because of your worthiness or your deservedness. It's because of the initiative of God's kindness. In other words, folks, Mary holds the same position that you and I do. I'm not saved 
because I'm more deserving and worthy than somebody else who's not. I don't get the blessing and the opportunity to carry Christ into this world. Folks, do you realize your opportunity to carry Christ is your opportunity to do something that counts for eternity? It's, it's your opportunity to really make a difference in this life. I have that opportunity. This vessel gets to carry Christ. But I don't get to carry Christ because this vessel is better than somebody else's vessel. Because this vessel is more worthy. No, it's God's grace. It's God's kindness. It begins on His initiative, not something that He sees in me. So as we come to understand Mary, we don't need to see, oh, Mary, she's better than everybody else. She's better than me. No, that's not what the angel said. You're, you're the one who's got God's grace. And folks, you and I have God's grace. Now, she's going to carry... She's going to carry Christ. And while it is kind of a standard teaching in the church and Christian orthodoxy, we refer to it in her title, the Virgin Mary. It's not exactly a news flash inside of a church in 2010 to, to say she was a virgin. But I think it's always good to pause and remind ourselves where that came from. The Bible. That is the actual teaching of Scripture. You look there in verse 27. Twice she is referred to as a virgin. And then in verse 34, she gives testimony to the fact. Uh, to her sexual purity, her sexual innocence. And you could, re you could read what she's saying and say, well, how, how do you know she's telling the truth? You know, I'm guessing standing there talking to Gabriel, it's a moment of truth. You know, that's just not the place you're going to toss out a lie and see how far it goes. You know, you're, you're feeling like this is, this is a place we come clean. And, and so we know that she is a virgin. And you know, knowing that, because you know, you do know people tend not to get, I don't want to go too much into biology here, moms and dads get ahead of your kids, but you know what I'm talking about? That doesn't happen. That's not the order of things. And so it is kind of interesting how quickly, and I think it's fair to use that word, even with an angel delivering the news, how quickly Mary and even later Joseph are going to be able to get their mind around this concept of a virgin birth. I mean, how, how do you process that and understand that? And I believe as they did, I believe they ran back to Scripture. I believe they were anchoring themselves in God's Word because you remember over 700 years prior in Isaiah 7.14, it was prophesied, it was foretold that this is exactly how the Messiah is going to enter the world. This is exactly how the Son of God is going to come into the world. It's going to be through this virgin birth. You know, folks, whenever you are wondering, is that from God? I, I, get, I get phone calls, emails, this and this happened. Is that from the Lord? Did, did God say that? Is that God's voice? Whenever you're trying to figure out God, trace it back to Scripture. Always anchor yourself in God's Word. And if you can't trace it back to Scripture, no, it's probably not. It's probably not from God. You should be able to tie it back to the things that God has already revealed and God has already communicated. The Bible is our source of truth. It is our source of authority. Folks, our source of authority, believe it or not, is not an angel. It's not an experience. It's not our five senses. The place we go to figure things out, to define life, to figure out where something is from, is the Scripture. So I believe Mary and Joseph have their lives anchored in what God has already spoken. They've got their lives anchored in his word. Now, I tell you, folks, as I read this passage and I, maybe I'm like you, maybe I'm different from a lot of people. I don't really struggle with a whole lot of this passage. Uh, an angel, Gabriel showing up, 
That's not shocking to me. God did that often through Scripture, would, would send messages, would reveal uh, through an angel. So uh, no shocking thing there. The virgin birth, I know there's a lot of people say, that's just myth, that's just fairy tale. I can't believe, I won't believe something like that. I, ha- I have no problem with that uh, for one simple reason. What it says in verse 37, nothing's impossible with God. If he wants to put that baby there in that fashion, that's exactly how it's going to happen. I don't struggle with that one bit. I'll tell you what, in this passage, I have a hard time getting my mind around. I'll tell you what, I have a hard time understanding is Mary's response to all this. Now remember, she's got to be thinking, what is this going to mean to me? What could this cost me? And what is her response to this incredible, impossible, unbelieving news? I am the Lord's slave. She didn't say, well, now, Lord, this this could be really hard for a lot of people to believe. No, just I am the Lord's slave. Hey, hey Lord, you you did think through this. I mean, you know, I could get end up getting divorced because of this. Lord, I could end up getting stoned. You I mean, you kind of thought through that. Right? I mean, wouldn't you want to know, God, you got my back if I go, if I follow you in this now, just. I'm the Lord's slave. There's no discussion of of the benefits. What's in this for me? How does this work out for me? What's the promise, the blessing on the other side of this? There's just none of that. Just I am the Lord's slave. And folks, that word slave is a very uh, interesting word there. In the Bible, in the English translations, we use the word slave and servant Almost interchangeably. The, the translation I read from the Holman Christian Standard Bible uh, used the word slave. I would imagine some of your translations, when I read that, your, your translation said servant. And they're often used interchangeably or synonymously in Scripture. But that's not exactly true in the Greek language. In the Greek language, there was a sharp distinction between a servant and a slave. A servant in that culture actually is somebody that could have rights, that, that, that might have standing in the community, but not a slave. A slave was owned. A servant would have made a distinction and said, I'm not a slave, I'm a servant, but I'm not a slave. What word did Mary use there in the Greek language? She said, I am the doulos. I am the slave of God. Mary didn't see herself before God as having any rights. Mary's view of the almighty God and herself was, I am the Lord's slave. I'm owned. I'm his. When he brings this news, I can do no other than obey him. Mary apparently is not aware as if she would have been an American Christian, we've got rights and, and I'm in charge, and life is about me, and God's got to tell me what's in this for me. Now, Mary wasn't under that, under that delusion. Folks, do you see the giant in faith that Mary is? That simple response is almost unparalleled. In Scripture, there are certainly other characters in Scripture that have a similar faith response to God, but there's none higher than that. No explanations, no promises. You say this is what you're doing. I am the Lord's slave. Do with me as you deem 
appropriate to advance your kingdom. Folks, Mary is giving a model to you and I on how we respond to the Lord, how we respond to Christmas, how we respond to God's commands, how we respond when we open up the Bible and read it. I mean, think about it, folks. Jesus says, you know, I want you to love me with all you are and all you have. Well, now, what does that mean? Well, now, what is that going to cost me? Well, does it mean this? Man, you see, Mary didn't ask any questions. She just said, I'm, I'm the Lord's slave. The Lord says, I, I want you to forgive them. Well, now, when it comes to forgiveness, I mean, it depends on who... You know, if they've changed, if they've said there's... I mean, when I say forgive them, a person comes to your mind. Usually the person you're not going to forgive. What was Mary's response to that? I'm the Lord's slave. I I want you to tell them about me. Well, God, you know, man, you know where I work, not everybody believes that way. Not everybody believes like that. That's going to be hard to understand. Couldn't Mary have said all that? Man, you know what? Everybody believes people can have a baby by being a virgin. That's going to be hard to... I am the Lord's slave. You know, I want you to come into my body and serve me. I am the Lord's slave. I want you to love one another. Yeah. I'm the Lord's slave. Oh, you realize all of these commands, you, you, every time you open the Bible, you read these commands, you realize every single one of them can be hard to understand. Uh, well, what does that mean? Every one of them can be hard to explain. Do you realize that a lot of God's commands, and I'm not saying all of the time, but a lot of God's commands, if you really seek to obey those in our world, that, that could bring hardship. That could bring pain. That could bring suffering. Are we supposed to weigh the cost and benefits? Or do we look to the model that Mary gave us and say, I'm the Lord's slave. Folks, however we're going to respond to Christmas, however we're going to respond to the revelation of God, however we're going to respond every time we open His Bible, Mary shows us the proper starting point is a proper view of Him and a proper view of ourselves. Do I see God as creator, as judge, as savior? Do I see God as master? Do I see myself as a slave? Masters have agendas. Slaves don't. Slaves don't have agendas other than their masters. Folks, think about this in how you approach God in prayer. Who's the master? You know, if your prayer time's like mine, you know, I'm there. God enters the room. God, have a seat. Um, I need you to do this and this and this. I need you to provide this and this. Lord, I need you really to help in that situation here. God, I just need you to remove that person from the planet. Um, I mean, folks, if you notice our, our prayer time, a lot of times, what is it? It's our agenda. It's what I've got going on today. It's what I've got going on this week. And God, here's what I need you to do in my agenda. Isn't that kind of how we approach God in prayer? Now, folks, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray about any of those things. It's not. We should. 
But do I see each one of those things as my agenda and God, here's where you need to serve? Or God, here's a bunch of places in my life. What's your agenda in those places? You know, God, from my limited understanding, my selfishness, from, from my ability to perceive this situation, here's what I'd like to see you do to provide, to change, to fix, to heal, to guide, whatever the case might be. But God, what are you doing in that situation, in that relationship? What is your agenda and how do you want to use me in that? And God, if it's uncomfortable for me, if it's painful for me, so be it. I am your slave. Mary is a giant in the faith. That little teenage girl. And God didn't show us that interaction. He didn't show us that line so that so that 2010 years later, we'd all gather together and go, oh, Mary, Mary, boy, she's great. God put that there. So that you and I would interact with it today. So that you and I would see that model and look into our own lives Wow. Do I see myself as a slave? Is this week about God's agenda or my agenda? Is my prayer time about what I want or what God wants? I am the Lord's slave. Let's pray. Father, as we go throughout this week, as we pray, as we read your word, as we seek to live for you wherever we are, wherever we go, I I pray we're very mindful of our view of you and our view of ourselves. And and Father, for me personally, I, I think I'm pretty faithful, God, at seeing as you as the as the king, as the Lord, as the creator, I, I, I see you as the master. God, I think I've been I think I've been faithful in that. I don't I don't think that's something I struggle with, but God, I do have a problem completing the sentence. God, I do confess that I don't I don't kind of run that statement that you're the master out to its full meaning. I don't know that I always see myself as the slave. I don't know that I start each day saying, hey, the Lord is the master of this day. The Lord is the master of this body. God, what do you have for me in this day? How am I to serve you? Lord, I'd like to grow and be a lot more like Mary. Whether you're bringing me a command or or a direction, a call that is hard to understand or difficult to believe, maybe something that I feel like would cost me. God, I thank you for putting Mary out there as a model and just kind of a way of saying, hey, this is what I'm, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to respond. It's very clear, very simple, very profound. Lord, I pray for each of us 
in whatever we have this coming week, an opportunity, a victory, a defeat, a struggle, a relationship, a, a problem, whatever we're going to deal with, I pray that as we enter that, God, would you, would you first of all just remind me because I forget. But God, as I go into that situation, that relationship, may I enter it as your slave with one goal, to fulfill your agenda in that moment. Help me, Jesus. It's in your name I ask this. Amen.